This is Pod Academy. This podcast was first broadcast on the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books in Political Science. My name is Heath Brown. Today we'll be talking to the author of The Promise of Participation, Experiments in Participatory Governance in Honduras and Guatemala, Daniel Altschiller. It was a pleasure to read your book. Uh, you've re- written this book with a, a co-author. Maybe you can, uh, before we get started with the book, uh, just introduce your co-author first and then a little bit about yourself as well. Sure. So Javier Corrales is my co-author. He's a professor of political science at Amherst College, and I'm currently a visiting scholar at the Milano School, which is at the New School for Public Engagement. Javier was actually my undergraduate advisor um, in political science. And after I left Amherst College as a student, I went and did some research abroad in Chile and in South Africa, looking at issues particularly related to homeless and landless people, but got very interested in civic participation and participation participation in development and governance initiatives. And when I came back to Amherst to meet with him, knew that he was looking at similar things in Central America. And so we decided to work together on this project, which was to examine the effects of participatory governance in the context of community-managed schools in Central America, and in particular in Honduras and Guatemala. Let's talk a little bit more about about participation itself. Well, why participation? You refer in the book to a couple of generations of scholarship on this concept. I wonder if you could walk through briefly what we know about participatory governance. First, just definitionally, when we're talking about participatory governance, we're talking about government-led initiatives to solve practical public problems, which include things like education provision, by facilitating participation of ordinary citizens in local forums, and particularly local forums that have some type of important decision-making authority. So school councils in the context of our research is, is what we were talking about. You know, I think since at least the 1960s, there's been a lot of interest in civic participation as a way to improve democracy, first in the context of the literature on participatory democracy, and then that literature sort of ebbed a bit, and instead, what came next was a generation of people thinking about participation in international development, and there was some really great literature on this, identifying some of the benefits of that, but also some difficulties when it was particularly tied to isolated development initiatives, when these initiatives were captured by elites, etc. More recently, there's been a turn towards participatory governance, things like participatory budgeting, first in Brazil and now increasingly in lots of other places in the world. And in all of these generations of scholarship and thinking, there's been this notion of kind of second, what some people refer to as secondary effects, what we refer to as spillover effects, that when you create a forum for participation, it will engender further participation um, with positive effects on civil society and democracy. And we have seen in the context of participatory governance evidence, for instance, from Brazil, we've seen a lot of examinations of urban um, participatory governance in Brazil and found some evidence of improved service delivery, greater equity in service provision, and increased participation within the process of, for instance, participatory budgeting and some inroads in accountability. So wanted to test this claim about does creating this type of participatory space 
in gender participation outside of that arena. So, for instance, if a parent participates in a school council, are they more likely to then participate in other types of organizations? Are they more likely to create an organization or forge alliances with other people? And that's really what we wanted to test and examine through our research. Everywhere has has these different institutions that are seeking out what you call the promise of participation. You know, it seems... um, like we really don't know. And I think that's what's so interesting about the book. Uh, what's also interesting about the book is, is where you chose to study. Uh, I wonder if you could talk about your the, your choice of Honduras and Guatemala, maybe in the context of this, this great photograph that's, that is, uh, is, is on the cover of the book. The photograph features a school in a rural area where we did one of our case studies in Honduras. You know, what we know about Guatemala and Honduras are, first of all, they're among the poorest countries um, in the Americas. They're also, particularly in the case of Honduras, they're radically understudied um, in the social sciences. We see very little research historically. It's been done on Honduras, perhaps as little, if not less, than any other country in the Americas. You have uh, many small countries on the Central American Isthmus with very different political histories. And also, in the case of Honduras and Guatemala, very, some would say, weak democracies. Um, you know, as recently as a couple of years ago in 2009, we had the coup in Honduras. Um, some researchers have said that that type of political instability could also come to Guatemala. And it's, it's a really important site to understand what types of mechanisms work to promote effective participation and governance. And that's what we wanted to do, particularly in rural areas, which, as I mentioned, are understudied both in Latin America more broadly and in Central America. And you focus on schools, what you call community-managed schools. Um, These are schools that were created throughout Central America. And in Honduras and Guatemala, they were created specifically to address the coverage gap in rural Honduras and Guatemala, where in the 1990s, 25 and 40 percent of rural school-aged children respectively lacked primary education access. So they were they were created to try and build a lot of schools quickly, and thousands were ultimately created. What's distinctive about the model is that parents were given a tremendous amount of autonomy. So parent councils were entrusted with the role of select hiring and firing teachers, as well as monitoring teacher attendance, deciding on certain supplies that they needed to buy, um, and administering the school. Uh, you, you approach this um, in, in you know, what would be called a mixed method using surveys and, and interviews and such. I wonder if you could describe a little bit about how you approach this. Did you do a lot of the traveling to these locations? You mentioned uh, hiring some research assistants. Was this a big part of the work? Yeah, it, it was a really big undertaking and among the largest of, of these types of this type of survey and um, research ever done, and it was cross-national. The quantitative work involved a survey that took place in a representative sample of schools across Honduras. And similarly in Guatemala, we did it across one region, the Department of Province, with the highest concentration of these schools. And that undertaking took a team of, in each country, roughly 20 surveyors, people who we train in the in how to, how to deliver the survey instrument, how to ask parents and, and complete the question in the way that they needed to. So that was a very big undertaking that took months, starting in 2007, frankly, because we began with pilots and then ultimately did the, the survey um, with 
a very large number of parents. And then in addition to that, and, and Javier and I were on the ground for that, and then in addition to that, we undertook case studies. And that was important to really probe what was going on at the schools. Um, how were parents engaging with them? What was their experience like? How could we understand some of the impacts that we thought we'd uncovered through the survey work? So personally, I spent about a year um, in Honduras and Guatemala helping to coordinate the quantitative work and then also conducting case studies, eight community case studies. So it was a long process, but a really rich process. And the case studies were critical for really understanding the data and getting a, getting a real sense of the context. What did you find? I can imagine having having done some survey research on my own, the surveys go out and you have, um, well, you have hopes and dreams for what you're going to find just as a social scientist, but you also have an investment in the, the success of the institutions that you're involved with, did you end up finding what you expected to find? Were there these effects of the, the participation that, that you had uh, hypothesized about? Well, I think every uh, anybody who's ever done quantitative data analysis is familiar with the like taking a deep breath before you hit the command function in data or whatever <laughs> statistical program you're using and, and seeing what you come up with. Uh, in our case, you know, I think it was a a mixed picture and, a, and a, a nuanced picture. You know, on the one hand, what we saw was we were working in very difficult communities to engage and where, you know, you had very low socioeconomic levels. There were a lot of barriers to participation and to promoting the type of spillover effects that we were looking for. The first socioeconomic level, but also things education level, but also the fact that the way the programs ended up being run, there was very little support or there was insufficient support for many parents to learn what they needed to learn. Um, you know, the trainings were infrequent and certainly less frequent in Honduras than in Guatemala. Um, and really focused, the support that uh, was provided was focused on ensuring administrative functionality and less on promoting participation. We similarly found programs that where political context had a really big impact. So, for instance, patronage in Honduras exerted a very significant influence. So we see in some ways the deck stacked against these initiatives creating spillover effects. And yet, what's interesting um, is that the survey revealed that a majority of parents actually reported some type of skills development or learning. We saw a non-trivial minority of parents, so more like in the range of 25 to 35% of parents who applied these skills, who participated in additional organizations afterwards, and who demonstrated other types of spillover effects. And so we see that despite the sort of barriers to participation and spillovers that we found that that creating these forums, these forums imperfect as they were, still did promote um, participation, particularly generating individual spillover effects. Stepping outside of these these two places, what do we make of this in other settings or or outside of the educational realm? Uh, are there things that we can learn about this, about the design of participatory institutions that would work for some of the cases you mentioned earlier, budgeting, for instance, or outside of education? How do, what, are we, what are the conclusions that we can draw? There are a lot of conclusions. Um, one of them is that it's worth investing in participation and trying to, to figure out how to do it best with two really important caveats or additional or corollaries. One is that it's critical to understand political context and how it's going to interact with the initiative that you're creating. Whether it's a particular municipality in the state of New York or a province uh, in Latin America, um, it's critical to know what are the patterns of political representation, how do politics work, and how may they impinge upon or circumscribe or interact 
interact with the initiative that you're creating. I think that's really critical as people think about design and think about inserting or working with local people uh, to determine what they're going to create, ideally with as much conversation with folks in that context as possible. The other thing that I think is really critical is simply creating a forum for participation is insufficient. Right? So simply saying, okay, you guys can come together and you can have these responsibilities, I think is important and potentially promising. But it's one thing that's really critical in our research showed is training is critical. Those parents who receive training were much more likely to, to uh, demonstrate the type of skills development. We found an indirect effect where those parents were more likely to demonstrate other types of spillover effects as well. And this resonates with, I think, the work certainly that I've done and that many of my colleagues have done in community participation, whether from an advocacy role, an organizing role, or an academic role, uh, which is it really, you can't skimp on that sort of capacity building and training piece. It's really critical whether it's participatory budgeting in New York City or community managed schools in Central America. This podcast was first broadcast on newbooksnetwork.com where you'll find lots of fascinating interviews with the authors of books on poetry, history, economics, popular culture, you name it, they'll have it covered.